You can do two. 100%. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you shouldn't be playing though. Why would you be playing the video? No, you don't need to do that. I can see if, that's, if, it's the, if the video is working. All right, folks. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta tajlu al-hazna idha shi'at sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatika ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everybody. MashaAllah we have a large gathering today. MashaAllah tabarakal rahman. How many folks of you have done LP before? Put your hands up. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. All right. Just, I was speaking to Abid. I said, like, when was the last time that he did uh, LP? He goes, when we're doing ghusl. Yeah? Which was 11 years ago. It's <laughs> the so thought that counts, huh? Uh, Salam said, Widad. That's Widad's from the States, from Florida. Jodri's online. Mbaji Mazita's online. Muhammad Amir's online from... Um, Bradford, she was online. Maisara is there as well. Nahid, she's here. Maisara, we have Nahid, your partner over here as well. MashaAllah. And Umrah, so many. Khalid Abaji is from Memphis, is online. Widad from Canada is online. Lama from Calgary is online. Everybody's online. Why is Muhammad online, by the way, here? Is he in the room? No, I'm saying Basma's dad. Auntie Kines. Why is Muhammad online in the room? He's doing it from the room? He should be here. Come on, man. He's here and he's doing it from the room. That's proper laziness, isn't it? Right. Okay. So, folks, um, this week's... I just wrote on Facebook just a few minutes ago when I was just reading. And I, I knew this last week, actually. But it didn't really hit until, you know, you just read the page and, you, you know, you think, subhanAllah. You've got to understand, right? We're what? Volume 4. Volume 4 out of 15-odd. That's taken 11 years. So the rest will probably take, you know, another, you know, if Allah gives tawfiq, maybe another 20, 30 years. Who knows? It's a big project, right? You can imagine how much of fiqh, obviously it's covering all of fiqh, right? Every aspect you can think of. Imagine that you are starting, you're not picking and choosing, you're starting from the very first day, first page, and you're going along every week for 11 years. And after 11 years and so many weeks, the subject that's only going to be covered once and never again in all of that 40 odd years is the subject of praying behind the Imam of the Kaaba from a panoramic view glass window in your hotel. The day that we are in a hotel room with a panoramic window with people actually asking me, can I pray behind the Imam of the Kaaba from the hotel that we are in, which is incredible. Qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something which has no explanation, no explanation, and uh, honestly, it's the, the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa taala is so beautiful. Actually, it's so beautiful. The more confusing it is, the more beautiful it is, because the more confusing it is, the more you have to submit, and the more that you submit to something you don't understand, that's just the ultimate, yani, expression of aqidah and tawheed, belief in Allah subhanahu wa taala. That's why I was telling you guys earlier on that. I loved the, the, the Umrah so much 
the tawaf particularly, and then the sa'i, of course, is, is always, in our program, the sa'i is always good. But normally, uh, and for you folks, obviously, you would not have done a sa'i like that, and many of the folks online also know that, you know, that our sa'i is very much according to the sunnah, very detailed, and so it's very different, so it's always going to be new. But the tawaf is a tawaf, why would the tawaf be different? But tawaf, yesterday's tawaf was mental, right? All the different things that happened as a run-up and a precursor to it that led to it being what it was, as I said, it, it, it affected me very much, and I wrote a piece on Qadr during the tawaf on it. And I wanted to release it to you guys, or maybe send it up in my memories. But it was, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And when you guys, when you guys here read it, I mean, obviously online it won't make so much sense, but when you folks read it, and then you'll understand, you know, the Qadr, we are so arrogant, right? Why was I speaking about Kaf every week? that it teaches us to be humble. Where did I mention that? At the training? In, the, in Medina? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the things that people forget is that Surah Al-Kaf is not just your weekly kind of Quran dose, weekly kind of, oh, I want protection from the Dajjal dose. It's actually a weekly reminder of, of Tawheed dose. Right? Reminding you that you need to be humble and trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the rest of your working week as you go out and do all your funky things. And then suddenly you kind of open the book. And many people don't even read the Quran except on Friday, by the way. Many people don't read the Quran except it being Surah Kaf. And so if you, you, know, if you are going to be that guy, then at least do it properly. And doing it properly does not mean then just reading, but you have to understand what it is that you're reading. And if you understand what you're reading, there's a very, very clear message that is coming across, emphasized every week, which is that you know nothing. You think you know, but you don't know nothing. And as I said in the training, I said, Musa was the one who took on for the team. The example that was uh, used for humanity and history was him questioning, being told, don't question me in my decision, right? By Khadr, right? And he tried to be as patient as he possibly could. But then, you know, ultimately human beings crack. They want to know what's going on, especially when it keeps getting crazier and crazier and crazier. And when you kill a kid, I mean, that's as, I mean where, did, where does it go past that? And each time he's being taught that don't question and there are, there are, you know, there are things that are bigger than you and that you don't know. And that's what happened to us in our uh, Umrah. But I don't want to spoil it too much. I think you'll enjoy it when you read it. Um, but again, I mean, look at the qadr of us teaching this now. All right, so for those folks who don't know, this is the uh, commentary to, um, the commentary to um, a, uh, a work, a small, not a small essay, but a small book called Zad al-Mustaqni'. Zad al-Mustaqni' is a humbly fiqh text, and this is the commentary to it. A 15-volume commentary called Al-Sharh al-Mumti'. The easy commentary, the easygoing commentary by one of the scholars of this country, Sheikh Muhammad bin Saleh al Uthameen alayhi rahmatullah. And Sheikh Uthameen, of course, very famous, very popular. Uh, and his commentary is very nice because it's not just adding commentary to the explanation of the fiqh, but a few tangents here and there when necessary to correct people's behavior, adab, aqeedah. He doesn't hesitate when he sees any benefit. Like his style, always have had. And this is one of my favorite books. So we're currently in the chapter of the congregation. And the particular part that we are covering in today's lesson, and I believe, yeah, this is actually a new section. Not that it's been translated as, uh, as a new section. Don't know who we're going to blame for that. Uh, Shazad Salim, uh, no, no blaming you today, or 
no, no, he's not. He's not in the mood to be blamed today. Look, yeah. So uh, this is it is my fault. I haven't had an opportunity to translate the last six weeks and the next few weeks either. But uh, we'll do a, we'll do a, a live translation. So subsection fossil. يَصِحُ إِقْتِدَاءُ الْمَأْمُومِ بِالْإِيمَامِ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ وَإِنْ لَمْ يَرَهُ وَلَا مَنْ وَرَاءَهُ إِذَا سَمِعَ التَّكْبِيرِ We'll do it bit by bit. It is valid for the follower, the ma'moom, the follower, uh, to follow the imam in a mosque, even if he doesn't see him or the people behind him, as long as he can hear the takbir. Alright? So, it is a valid prayer, a valid prayer for the follower to follow the imam in a masjid, even if he can't see the masjid, uh, the imam, and even if he can't see anyone in the lines behind the imam, as long as he can hear the takbir. Alright, we're going to develop this. وَكَذَا خَارِجَهُ إِنْ رَأَى الْإِمَامِ أَوَ And the same, likewise, if he's outside the mosque as well. But this time, he has to be able to either see the imam or the followers. Right? Let's pause there. That is exactly our situation. Right here from this window. Outside the masjid, but when you're looking at that panoramic window, the first row of people will, won't, they won't see, because of our angle, we won't see the Imam of the Kaaba here, but we'll see all the lines, or some of the lines. You get it? Now you'll say, okay, that's fine for these guys, but then what about you know, the girls at the back? You guys can see us. See the point? That's what's being argued in the second point. As long as if you are outside of the masjid, the Hanbali position, if you are outside of the mosque, and you can either see the Imam or the followers, i.e. the last line up to you, then you are part of that congregation basically and your prayer is valid. This is the point which is being argued by the Hanbali school as an official position. Um, and there's some more, I don't know whether we'll get to this to be honest. The prayer is also valid if the Imam is on a higher plane to them, in a higher platform, a higher level to them, All right, like a stage, like a floor, like an X, we'll come to that in a second. But it is disliked, it is reprehensible, it is not good if the height of that height difference, the platform, the X, the Y, the Z, is more than a dhira'a. Dhira'a. Who knows what a dhira'a is? What is this? A measurement of length called a arm's length. Is it still used? I don't think arm's length is used, by the way. Arm's length, I think, is a general phrase of society meaning to keep away from a person. So far distance doesn't... This is a cubit, folks, okay? Have you ever heard the classic word cubit? Cubits, yeah? This is a cubit. The classic biblical measure, you'll find this used by the ancient nations across the, the board, especially Bani Israel. Uh, you'll find it in the Bible, translated as well, a cubit. A, a, an arm span length it is. But the word, if you say it's an arm's length, that's not the correct phrase anymore, apparently. Well, that's what you'd say, right? So, a cubit is the, uh, the maximum um, height. And, and since he's outside the masjid as well, he must be able to see the imam or uh, the lines. In the, in the translation, we? Not, not in lines, awal ma'moomeen, or the followers. Or the followers, yeah. yeah. So, he's got to be able to see the imam or al ma'moomeen. The ma'moom is a follower. Like, we're all ma'moomeen. We are, that's a plural, right? The plural meaning of ma'mumun, both words are the same. We are the followers praying behind an imam, all right? Okay, that's our text 
of study today. Sheikh Uthameen opens up and he says, all right, when it comes to the issue of uh, a person, a ma'moom, man or woman, following an imam, they normally take four levels or four kind of, uh, uh, how can I say, uh, four types. Yeah, four, yeah, four types, right? They are mutaba'a, musabaqa, muwafaqa, wa takhalluf. We covered this about X months ago. You'll find that, I'm sure someone will put a link to where we covered it, what lesson, Mesa, if she's around, she'll do that, okay? Um, four levels of how a person can follow an imam. In summary, very quickly, because we did about four lessons on this, mutaba'a is the sunnah, is the only acceptable one. That's following the imam. Imam goes, Allahu Akbar, then you go down. Samiyallahu liman hamida, you stand back up. Rabbana wal kalam. Allahu Akbar, you go down. This is mutaba'a. The second is musabaqa, completely haram, invalidates the prayer, major sin. This is the imam saying, Allahu Akbar, you've already gone down. All right? He's saying, Samiyallahu liman hamida, you're already standing up. Right? You're in front of the imam. Understood? The third type is muwafaqa. Muwafaqa is Allahu Akbar, Samiyallahu liman hamida, Allahu Akbar, it's absolutely the same as the Imam. This is a problem, right? It's disliked because of the risk of getting just in front. Okay, and there's a lot of detail, we covered that before. And the fourth is what takhalluf. Takhalluf is the classic one. You being holier than thou, you know, Imam's gone from sajda into Allah Akbar, and you're there, yani, mashallah making more dua in sajda because you're so holy, mashallah, right? So this is you staying behind, falling behind, even by half a second, even by one second, and so on and so forth. This is not a stylish thing. There's no delay in the prayer. You should follow the imam. So there are four ways of following. You get it? Yeah? Yeah? When, uh, when it comes to a follower with the imam. The only acceptable one is the first one, which is to follow, right? Not get in front, not be at the same, and not lag behind. You follow. He says, Allahu Akbar, you go in. All right, he gets to his position, you then enter into that position. Um, anyway, Sheikh says, I mean, Sheikh says, I know that these four categories are not relevant here, but you should just know that these are the four ways that someone follows an imam. But our author here wants to talk about the place of the following and how a person follows. So let's focus on, let's, so let's focus on that. Sheikh Uthameen says at the top of 297, he goes, so we're talking about fee. Uh, Al-Masjid. So the, the, the author, the Hanbali author, that's putting forward this, the school's position, this is the official position of the school, by the way, all right, of the Hanbali school, is talking about a single mosque, okay? في مسجد واحد فيصيح اقتداء المأمون بالإمام ولو كانت بينهما مسافات يعني Sheikh is saying that he's obviously talking about now inside a mosque and it doesn't matter how much difference is between distance there is between the Imam and the Ma'mum. And so therefore, in this example, the imam can be standing here and the followers are 20-30 meters at the back. Okay? This, according to our author, is the situation we're talking about. And Sheikh says, and from what apparently the imam is saying, the apparent meaning is that it is not a condition to be close to the imam. It is not a condition to be close to the imam. Now, um, uh, interesting side note, obviously the folks here uh, 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 weren't here, but you guys were. When uh, we were sitting doing our orientation, remember earlier on, did you see the Malaysians leading the Salah? Who noticed what happened? 
Anyone notice that there were three thingy that came? You noticed, yeah? Huh? They were close together or there was something else? Who noticed? Nobody noticed? The three Malaysian men that went to the front here and, and, and prayed? You didn't see that? No, no, those ladies were not connected to them. Sorry? They were praying in the same line. Exactly. Which we covered last week and the week before. If you'd noticed, the Imam was at the front. We covered, this is exactly what we were covering last week and the week before. When there are congregation, when there's more than two people, where should they stand? We know that when a person is an Imam, stands at the front, and when there's a second person, stands to the right hand side. The third person doesn't stand to the left. These two go back. So it's one Imam and then two are behind. This is for the male congregation. To stand in the line is the action of the female companions. And from that, we therefore learn this is how a female line of uh, uh, stand or gather in fiqh, right? In the fiqh position of a female prayer line is that the lady, the imam, female imam stands in the line of the other ladies. What you saw was the males applying a female principle. They should have come back. And that's actually one of the Shafi'i positions. This is actually, it's not just made up Malaysian culture, it's one of their understandings. Obviously, Malaysians are strict Shafi'is, and um, it's one of, one of their opinions in how people line up. The other interesting thing, of course, is that it wasn't a straight line, right? There was a gap, and that's, again, another position known in the, in the Shafi'i school, which applies to the second person as well. So if there's two people, you know, obviously, I've, uh, we've just done Divine Link, yeah, the Fiqh Salah, which is very important for everyone to be part of and sign up to. We do all of these demonstrations about how a, a person lines up, right? So from, a, from, a, from a, a point of view, if this is the imam facing that way, okay, the, the follower should be in line when there's two people. However, many scholars, including the Shafi'is, suggest there's got to be a little bit of a, a gap. The Hanafi school want this, the Shafi'i school want this, either half a foot, like literally the foot, I mean, or the foot length itself and the reason for that is so is because they consider that anything else can't be a follower you get what i'm saying right because the hadith of where this come where this happened which was a hadith of abdullah ibn abbas when the prophet is praying to hajjid in his house of course the auntie of ibn abbas is is there the, the wife yani this is the house his own house and so he's he's there as well staying over he wakes up, sees the Prophet ﷺ praying, joins him for prayer, but joins on the wrong side, joins on this side. The Prophet ﷺ takes him by the head and pulls him around, so he's on this side now, correctly, on the right-hand side. That hadith does not specify anything to do with the positions of the feet. In actual fact, it says jamb, which means side. And when you say side, you expect it to be the side, not like that. They said, okay, that is the side, but in a side situation, one is an imam and one's a follower, so we've got to artificially create a gap. You get the point? It's a rational argument from a point of view of fiqh, and that's what fuqaha need to do. They need to look at hadith and try to rationalize it and not always take it literally. But sometimes it's problematic when you rationalize hadith when the literal meaning has no reason to be rejected. You see, normally you go to rationalization of a hadith because it doesn't make sense what it's saying. So you might have seen, for example, on your social media and stuff, there's lots of different clips that are being shared from Fiqh Salah at the moment, right, by Al-Maghrib. 
And I saw one a couple of days ago where it's showing one of the sessions we did in the studio of um, uh, lining in the, uh, the straight line, right? Ankle to ankle, knee to knee, shoulder to shoulder. And I was indicating what would happen if we were to follow this hadith literally, right? Because the hadith of the Sahabi, he says, and then we locked our knees, locked our uh, ankles, and locked our shoulders. So you've got two ways of reading this. You're either going to read it literally, and those Muslims do exist. They, if you've ever experienced that behavior, you're in a prayer line, and bro, like we're talking, yani, mashallah, a defensive wall of magnificent proportions, and you know, balls getting through there, right? I'm telling you, proper hardcore, and you feel, I mean, most of the time you're going to go to a mosque and feel, you know, ankle contact. But when you feel knee contact, then you know that the game's changed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's cool, you know, if you, yeah. so, uh, so, you know, people say, you know, Astaghfirullah, you're making fun of the hadith. No, we're not making fun of the hadith. The hadith is, is clear. And our opinion, in fact, the opinion of the four imams, the vast majority of scholars, not just the four imams, I mean the vast majority of scholars, because there are many fuqaha and scholars outside of just the four schools, right? Um, they're of the opinion that, no, this did happen, but it happened to exaggerate the straightening of the line, the process. But once the prayer kicks in, then everyone gets back into a kind of relaxed, yet tight, connected position. A relaxed, tight, connected position is going to be by shoulders, not leaving gaps. And that's why that's the obligated requirement, according to the majority of scholars. Now, if we were to say, no, you've got to take the, the statement of the companion literally, then, and you've got to keep contact between the ankles and the uh, uh, knees and the, sh uh, the, the, the shoulders. So then in the, in the video, I demonstrated it. While we, we gathered a line and we tried to do it. I mean, it's incredibly difficult. In fact, it's, it's impossible. It's the weirdest thing ever doing that in Sajda, by the way. Okay? So um, my point is, is that rationalization of this hadith, and the word is not great, by the way, rational. I'm just saying it for the, because I can't bother thinking about it. I'm about to fall asleep. Rationalization, yeah, rationalization is what I mean is that the literal meaning is not the right one, okay? Not the correct one. So, uh, with that being said, um, so the Sheikh says that what seems apparent is that if someone's right at the back of the masjid, they, they can be led. And even if there's 50 meters difference between them, the Imam and the people praying behind, then uh, the prayer is valid and that's it because they're in the same place and I can see you and I can follow you it doesn't matter whether uh, you know any other conditions are fulfilled but we're, in, we're together and khalas that's it and then Sheikh comments on the humbly position the next sentence he goes and uh, it doesn't matter if he can hear or not or see so therefore if you are in a little side room for example or there's a curtain that's up for example it doesn't matter because you can hear the imam and if you can hear the Imam and his takbir, then you're, you're knowing then what position that he is in. Okay? And Sheikh says, he didn't even say you can hear the Imam, actually. He said that you can hear the takbir. The text is important. Which therefore means as long as you can hear the mukabbir. Now, we were speaking about that guy, right? He's the world's most irritating bloke here, the one in Mecca here, right? In Medina, I told you guys that he was equally as irritating. However, he's taken on a new role, to be honest. My, I'm softening to that position. No, wait. She says, angry. Look how angry he is. Yeah? <laughs> right? You know, it's like we stayed in Kuba, it's like 
guys, who put your hands up if you prayed in Quba that, that, that night that we went? And you know what How prayer? crazy was that prayer? Yeah, do you understand what Shah said? Did you not hear that? Did you? Because I heard that. We don't need you. Yeah. <laughs> there were people, because, because the majority of people who are praying in Quba are also tourists, right? And they've already prayed in Medina. And you're always, you know, recency bias is real, is real right? So your last 10 Jamaats have been behind my guy. And so, and, you know, in the, in the Haram, in Masjid Nabawi. So they've turned up on Masjid Quba for Isha. They're hearing absolute silence, so they're filling in the gaps. <laughs> so that's what we were hearing. They go, Rabbana, It's like, bro, we asked you. So you see, the impact of these things is at the kind of you know subconscious level. It's a madness, Niani, you know, and it's a problem because, as opposed to it being functional, it's turned it's turned into one of the trappings, one of the you know what I mean. It's the bells and whistles now of the prayer. It's seen as a real, you know, a part of the prayer and, and that's the problem anyway as I was saying um, the reason the interesting thing about Medina is is that they've definitely turned off the speakers there's something political yeah something's definitely happened whether it's like you know someone's made some kind of uh, you know what do they call that a complaint of some sort at the highest level money's been paid and um, They've reduced the number of speakers, which isn't a bad thing, by the way. I'm not a massive fan of very loud recitation. You know, if you're not close enough, then you don't deserve to be listening to it, right? So to blare it out to everybody else, disturb all the people who are ill and the surrounding areas. This is not from the objectives of the Sharia. So I'm not anti that. But what I did notice is that you are struggling, actually, if you're, you're late and you're in a courtyard, to hear the Imam. And especially if you're an Imam like Sheikh Hudayfiyah, as we spoke about, who's now, you know, he's not just really old now. But he and getting weaker, but he kind of prays within himself, right? Allah Akbar. Tell me Allah. There was a few salat that you couldn't hear him. No, bro, for the last. Inside the masjid, absolutely. For the last couple of years, that's been the case, bro. For the last couple of years, he will, he will pray. And listen, I've got nothing wrong with that. That's how I like to lead myself. I also don't like acting. You know, there's a lot of strictness, by the way. Um, sorry, that's not right to say. There is some strictness from scholars that they obligate upon an imam that they're not allowed to play around with the prayer. Now you might say, what's playing around with the prayer? I'll give you an example of what they didn't like. Some said haram, some said makruh. Intentionally making a big thing out of the takbir, for example. Right? So that it's different to what you would be saying in a quiet prayer. So you know when you're leading like an asr, it seems, if you just leave human beings without any kind of prep to think about, if they're on autopilot, if you lead an Asr prayer, it's Allahu Akbar. Sami Allahu liman hamida. Allahu Akbar. That's what, I, I, that's what I'd be doing. But when you're, you know, in your Maghrib, Allahu Akbar. I mean, what happened? What's the difference between Asr and Maghrib? You kind of get into some kind of, you know what I mean? That's a bit, you've got to be careful about that kind of behavior, right? Yeah, you're meant to beautify the recitation of the Qur'an. But when you start to elongate things, and there is some space there, of course, to elongate um, a takbir, because there's a large congregation, for example, etc., 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 then, you know, 
There's some space, like I said, for some, but you've got to be careful. So one of the most common uh, 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 things that I mentioned in books of fiqh is, you know when the uh, imam is leading the fourth rak'ah, uh, it's centrally controlled, Hanna. Centrally controlled. You are about to freeze today. Okay? We have, this is our what lesson? I don't know, maybe our sixth, fifth lesson in this particular hall. And nearly every time, they don't put the lights on and they don't put the heating on. So we do it in the dark. And it is absolutely boiling. And the one time we've asked them and got it planned and got it signed off, and they've put the lights on and they put the AC on, and we are going to turn into popsicles, I tell you right now. <laughs> it is absolutely freezing. Right. So, um, yeah, see, Maria mentioned that the get up from Raqqa at 3. That's a different one as well. You introduce changes, right? So you're terrified in the third raka'ah that they see that as a sit-down one, so you make it shorter and quicker. You know what I mean? And everybody but everybody makes the fourth one. Allahu Akbar. That's the sitting down takbir. You know what I'm trying to say? Now, you might say, that's great, what a public service that is. Right? You know that he's in the right thing. In fact, how many times have you heard the imam... So, if you, if you, you know, there's a Jamid al-Hadith, those boys, they don't mess about with this kind of thing. They take this very sensitively. They said this is absolute bid'ah if you change the length and tune of the takbirs. Now, if you just think about this for a second. You've got all these takbirs, yeah? You've got, you got four takbirs that, that in a four-raka'ah prayer, you've got four takbirs that bring you up from the, la, the last sajda. Agreed? Yeah, okay, you're coming up from the second sajda four times in a four thing. Now, if I said to you there are four takbirs at that moment, they have to be said the same. It is haram, listen, to make them different unless there's an evidence. Because the default position in ibadah, in sharia, the default position is that every act is haram until an evidence comes. Because imagine if that wasn't the, the principle. Imagine that you are allowed to do what you want. Okay? Of course, it's the, it's the opposite. Right? Every addition, change, variation... It's not up to you. There has to be an evidence before you do it. Now that's a good argument. That's a good argument. So, those scholars that go strict on that, they say, if we hear you make any difference between the first, second, third, or fourth, you've introduced the bid'ah. I've prayed in mosques like that. Bro, the amount of times you're sitting down on the third rakah, yeah? And then you're looking to the imam when you see him stand up. Because he didn't give any kind of indication that this is the third or the fourth. And frankly, it is your problem, not his, right? But you've dozed off like you have. And so then you look at the imam for better help and then you realize that he's stand up and then you're standing up as well, right? So um, it's a real thing. It doesn't matter how, yani, you know, uh, and Maryam's right, it even has a tune. We've created a tune for the third takbir and the fourth takbir. And you can either laugh at this or say, we've got to be careful before we introduce bid'ah into the prayer. And there are a number of senior scholars that said, you can't do that. Then you like, what about a little bit of variation to help? They go, where's the evidence for that? You've got to keep the pe people themselves have got to take that responsibility. So you can argue the, the takbir is with the motion. The takbir is with the motion, meaning that you're meant to follow, not here. Is it though? 
Is it though? Who said that you've got to say all of from beginning to end? The takbir of intiqal, the takbir of movement, is the takbir that happens during the movement. Not necessarily the takbir that happens from the beginning of the movement to the end of the movement. You're not going to do it from sajda. Yeah, Don't even speak about where the microphones are. Yeah. That's another one, right? Because a lot of the time, mosques can't afford the second microphone. Right? The microphone that's going to uh, uh, tell everybody else is up here. So he has to come all the way, kind of almost stand up and kind of go, Allah Akbar. That happens in a lot of mosques as well. Right? There's a lot of stuff there. I mean, but, but to counter argument would be, the, the fourth rak'ah has people going into tawarruk. It's not just sitting down, right? And the tawarruk position, especially when you start getting on a bit, you have to lower yourself into that <laughs> When you, you know, it's actually interesting. Aisha said, radiallahu anha, that when the Prophet started to get heavier, right? Meaning that starting to get older, there was more sitting down, more tawarruk, more... Tawarruk, if you don't know what Tawarruk is, is uh, someone show it yet? I don't make me get up. You know, someone knows Tawarruk? Look at Zad. This is Tawarruk. That's the worst Tawarruk I've ever seen, by the way. Okay. Yeah, this is normal. Okay, look at uh, Suleiman. All right, this is normal. And Tawarruk is? No, 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 no. You bring the other foot out. Yeah, left foot, and, and you've got to put the other one up. Put it up. Man up now. No, normal. Yeah, there you go. That's it. That's the warruk there, okay? You sit on your left buttock, basically. Your backside sits on the floor. Now, the function of that, you can sit normal now, bro. I know you're dying. It's okay, yeah? The, 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 the point that you do that is that your legs become relaxed. Because when you're sitting normal, you're sitting on your legs and the blood gets cut off. It's difficult. So when you're lowering yourself down to the floor, it takes longer, just naturally. And so I don't know whether we should argue it like that. I just, I, I have to say I agree that there needs to be not... You've got to be careful about adding the extra tunes and the extra kind of... Um, what, and you should make it longer, Yanni? If it's naturally longer, is it such a big deal? They're not caring about, you know, whether it's a tune or this or that or longer. They're caring about the principle. The principle is sound, by the way. That if you are changing styles of takbirat in a prayer, what's your evidence? And I don't think that you can fight this principle. I think that you've got to say that change exists. You can't fight the principle. You should agree with the principle and say, we agree with that, but we will vary it if we have a reason to. If there's a, like, like looking around. We already, we already spoke about that you're not allowed to look in the prayer. Yeah? No, there's a difference between an imam who always says, Samiyallahu liman hamidah, and an imam who goes, Samiyallahu liman hamidah, and that's his standard. That's absolutely fine. The issue is changing. But not, but not changing because he's changing styles of recitation, meaning he's changing styles for some other reason. Right? That's their point. And as I said, I think the principle is sound, but we shouldn't fight the principle, we should say there are exceptions to that. And the exception is if there is a need. Like, like looking around. You're not allowed to look around, 
but if you have a need to look around, you're allowed to. Right? The sunnah, in fact, obligatory, not sunnah, it's obligatory to look at, down, focus at the po point of your sajda, and not look here and there, etc., etc., etc. But for example, if you see someone who's coming, you're not sure if they're coming close to you, or you, know, or you hear some noise, or you're in a, a vulnerable situation where you went into the prayer. This is a, a very good example. You know it's the prayer time that's required. You know you didn't want to be caught praying in this place because it's in the public and there's some things going down. But you're about to miss the prayer and you know that you're going to take a chance with it. And you started the prayer and then a sound is made that would suggest that your suspicion was correct. Of course it's allowed for you to turn around and look without invalidating the prayer. Make sense? The Prophet ﷺ did that when he was at war and the army was not around him. And he did that to look to see the pass that, you know, he's expecting them to come and they are here. The companion said that he, he looked and carried on. So you, there's exceptions to this. The question is, is, is just letting people know that we're in the third and the fourth rakah a valid exception? Kareem and then Simon and then uh, Faisal, yeah. So you know something, right? What's very interesting about the Sajda Tilawa, it's a, it's, I mean, it's its own kind of chapter of fiqh in itself about whether you should make the takbir on the way down or making takbir on the way back up and whether you should change the nature of it, okay? Um, from the Prophet ﷺ, we do not have much evidence about this takbir. As far as I remember, most of the evidences about the takbir are from the companions. So for example, I don't like the, the uh, well, there's two takbirs, aren't there? Right? I am not a fan of both of them, actually. But I'm, 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 I'm an outlier. I'm definitely not doing the second takbir. Right? As for the first one, I will reluctantly accept the argument. But even I don't like that either. Right? But I recognize that in, amongst the masses, if you just went down to sajda without making takbir, the people would be really confused, especially those that can't see what's going on. So with the first one, I'll accept it. Whilst in my heart, not liking it because we don't have any evidence, as far as I know, Allahumma, as far as I know, authentic from the Prophet ﷺ that he made the takbir of going down for a sajda. Let alone saying, Allah, that's how it goes, isn't it? That's how everybody knows that that's not your normal takbir, right? So let alone that. But you understand why the scholars allowed that. Because otherwise people will be lost. So that's, that's a good example. Now, just to on the issue. The second takbir, no way am I having it. It's been narrated by a few of the companions, but the majority has not been narrated from them. Why would you? They say to get the people back up. What do you think the people are going to do when they hear the recitation carrying on? They're going to stay there. <laughs> right? Do you know what I mean? Why would you need the takbir? And the others said, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's an action of the Sahaba, so we should do it, etc. Um, etc. So anyway, it's a... It's a it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting point. Right. Um, now, that's inside the, inside the mosque. As for outside the mosque, they're saying that, the Hanbalis are saying, that the prayer is valid for the follower as long as he can see the imam or he can see the followers. It doesn't matter if the lines are not continuous. So, for example, if you are Sheikh Uthameen is giving an example of the humble position. If you are a neighbor to the mosque, you live next door, okay, uh, and he's able to see from his window, 
in the house next door, either the Imam or any of the followers, he can pray in his house and So he's saying, so he added a, he added a caveat. Uh, he said, on his own, no. He's not allowed to pray on his own because the Hanbalis do not allow a person to pray alone, intentionally, in a prayer line. It's, a, it's an interesting caveat, that, okay? But they said that if there's another person standing with him in his house, and through the window they can see the line of the masjid next door, then through the window, meaning through his window, into the window of the masjid even. We're not even saying that the line has to come out of the masjid. Then the prayer is acceptable. The prayer is valid according to the Hanbalis. Alright? That's the first condition. And the two conditions, sorry. He has to hear the takbir. He's got to be able to hear what's, what's happening. And got to be able to see either the imam or the follower. Sheikh says, uh, He goes that, uh, according to Sheikh uh, Imam Al-Hajawi, the author, this needs to be for the whole prayer. But there are a number of the Hanabila that said it doesn't even need to be for the whole prayer. Even part of the prayer is sufficient. So as long as you saw the, uh, and, he, and actually Sheikh al says that the official position of the madhab, the official position of the madhab is that it is sufficient and this prayer is valid as long as you saw those lines or the imam even for just one part of the prayer. Imagine that as a position. A sheikh then goes, إذن, if that, therefore, we can say, if you are outside the mosque, we have two conditions. Number one, that you hear the takbir. Number two, that you can see either the imam or the followers, either the entire prayer or just part of the prayer and the continuity of the lines, line after line after line, is not a condition of the prayer. This is the first position on the matter. The second position on this matter, and it is also the position of Sahib al-Muqni' Muqni' of course is a small book of fiqh, Hanbali fiqh, written by the author of the greatest work of Hanbali fiqh, which is al-Muqni. So this is talking about Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi, who is the imam of the Hanbali uh, school from the latest scholars. His position, so he's differing with his own school, which is quite normal in the Hanbali school, right? His position is that there must be a continuity of the lines. You can't have gaps. The lines must be continuous. However they are, poorly, you know, like in the haram. One thing I've always said, and I hope that you took my, my, my statement seriously, that the one place you don't learn the fiqh of lines is in Medina or Mecca, okay? And, you know, it's so depressing. Medina is okay, you can survive. But when you come to Mecca, I just think, how miserable must it be to pray in the women's section? Right? As a male. You know what you see when you observe as a, ma as a male? Like, bags, shoes, kids. Like, you know, lines that start here and lines there, whatever, whatnot. That's, that's all I imagine what a women's section looks like. Yeah? People putting their shopping down. People brought their knitting along. All that kind of bakwas. <laughs> it's a jumble cell. The women's section is a full-on jumble cell. I have seen it, by the way. I'm not going to lie. When you're imam, you get these kind of privileges. So the, the, the Makkah, uh, Mashal Haram um, uh, male prayer lines are like that. It's an absolute disgrace. Absolute disgrace. And the imam, you couldn't care less. 
They, I mean, I, I blame him entirely. The Prophet ﷺ would not only wait as the lines are uh, established, but he'd have people that would go up the lines. Bilal was one of them, Umar was, one, was another one. They'd be delegated to go and straighten the lines. You know, and they'd do it rough way. You know, the, Umar used to have the stick. And he used to get the stick and he used to, you know, push people back like that, pushing people like this and that, whatever, to kind of put them into, into position. So, yani what? If he waits 30 seconds, what's going to happen? Right? So, it's just like, a, again, it's like entertainment. It's an event, right? As opposed to a real concern to straighten the lines. If he concerned, he'd turn around and he'd say, what's happening at the back? You know what I mean? Yeah, okay, well, no one's going to shout back, yeah, we're good, yeah? But at least people would feel sugar, you know what I mean? He's, he, you know, he's, he cares about the lines. And it's a habit. These are, these, are, these are learned habits. If the imam shows concern, I'm not going to start until everybody, then you know that guy next to you and the other guy next to you is going to start taking more seriously. And you are going to start pushing people back. Now look at what happens. You know, it's like the whole ihram example I was giving, that you know, when you start in Medina, you're, <laughs> mashallah, looking the paragon of white virtue. And then by the end, yani, when you... <laughs> Inside, you got the thing wrapped around your neck. Your whole body's on display to everybody. Look at what you want, bro. I'm dead. Yeah. So it's the same. It's the same when you come to Medina on your first day. You're like, you know what I mean? Straight in the lines. You know, come here, brother. Close this gap. Whatever. By the time you get to Makkah, you're standing alone over there. He's standing over there. Must take my chapel down there. You stick your shopping over there. Jaltai, yeah, no problem. It all works. It always. So. This is, these are, these are, these are real issues. I think Imran, Imran had done, yeah. I've just got a question for you. I've been to, in, in uh, England, in Masjid, where there's three rows. The first row is the Imam, who's in the center. The second row is the male uh, followers. Now, they were split, kind of one end and the other end. And then the females were in the third, the sisters were in the third, and they started on the left. So they were kind of, I mean, I initially thought this was because they were coming in and everybody just started on the left. And some men might have come in late and didn't, didn't want to cross the, cross the system. And so they've started their own row on the right. So there's a, you're saying like there's a gap between... Yeah, so the first row, the imam, he's always in the center. He's on the center, but behind him there's actually the nobody. There's a, there's a gap. Are, are, there's a big gap. And then the third, the sisters on the left. Right. So I'm just thinking the second gap is... He's basically parted the sea kind of thing, yeah? yeah? Yeah, I mean, I mean, first of all, there's no doubt that that's not a correct prayer line, except that there must be some kind of valid reason that required the fatwa to be given for that to happen, right? Which is not the end of the world, by the way. I know that sounds crazy, but if, for example, there's no other place for the sisters to go, and there needs to be a prayer line for the sisters, obviously, and the masjid design, it's not a purpose-built mosque, and the entrance is from the back, so what are you going to tell the sisters? Where are you going to, where they, where they going to stand? I mean, if you can only come through that way, you've got to be able to come through. So there could be something like that. In our masjid in Chiro, for example, right, up until now, we, we, have to, we also have a fatwa, right? I've said it's okay, you know, to leave a gap, every line, so that people can go along the sides to make wudu, right? In some of these countries, like in Saudi, for example, in Masjid Jum'ah, remember we stopped at Masjid Jum'ah? Uh, you know, where the Prophet said and prayed Jum'ah. If you go into that mosque, um, uh, both sides, yeah, 
left and right have a gap, which is used for walking out. Now, I want you to think about this. That's not actually what a masjid is meant to be like, right? That's not that the lines are meant to be complete. But if that's the way that the exits have been built because there's no side exits and you need to come to the front, then it's an acceptable point. So I think that what's happened is some small variation in order to deal with a, a current kind of a situation. Shaz, you were saying? Yeah. yeah remember the was uh, at the clock tower, you mean? No, no, no. The, the king's palace. Which was where? Which was higher than the Kaaba, and people always used to complain that it was overlooking you. You ever see the above the Kaaba? Now, which angle was that? Was it not behind the clock tower? No, that before the clock tower was even there. Yeah, I'm saying where the clock tower is now. I'm saying <coughs> it was in that direction. No, it was past the palace. Yeah, that's where it was. Yeah, but where the behind the clock tower was. Yeah, but you see, from the top of it, you could see inside. Right into the Kaaba. Yeah, well, yeah, he's going yeah, to come to that now. So, all right. Um, so what did uh, uh, Imam, al, uh, Imam ibn Qudama uh, say? He said that um, the lines must be continuous and it is not permissible to follow the Imam if you're outside the masjid if there are no continuous lines. Because it is obligatory in a jama'ah that they are together in all their actions and that is for the follower to follow the Imam and to be in the same pace. And if we don't say that and we don't stand firm and we don't make that an obligation, what are we saying? We're saying that it's valid for an imam and one single follower to be in a masjid and two followers to be uh, in a, uh, 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 another place and another room, another two to be in a different uh, corner and another two to be outside and there can be another room. Basically, that's what we're allowing. If we don't stand firm and establish the concept of continuous lines, we can have people all over the place. And it turns, into a whole, it turns into a farce, actually. The concept of congregation then has been lost. The concept, I mean, everything is gone. Everything is gone. Okay? Um, so, Sheikh goes, the correct position in this entire issue, summarizing the whole point. For Sawab, the correct position, that there must... Anyone who's outside the mosque... And they want to stay outside the mosque, can only do so if the lines are flowing outside of the mosque and the lines are continuous. That's the only time. And if they are not continuous and there are no lines that are coming out of the mosque, then the congregation is invalid. The congregation is invalid and therefore the prayer would be invalid because you've made the intention to pray a congregational prayer. This I mentioned last week, by the way. If you were in a congregation but you had made the intention, for whatever reason, to be praying by yourself, the irony is that yours would be the only prayer that's valid. <laughs> that should be a riddle, isn't it? Right? If you are in a congregation that is outside a mosque and the mosque has not got, the, the, there's no continuous lines coming out of that mosque, right? And those people in that congregation line that are with you have made the intention to pray in congregation behind the Imam are actually not even in a valid congregation. Therefore, they don't have a valid prayer that they are intending to offer. Whereas you're in the midst of them, for whatever reason, you made the intention that I'm praying Isha by myself, just standing here for the, for the sake of it. Yours is the only valid prayer. The irony of ironies. We'll come to that, innit? I know you're looking for it, bro. I know that you're looking and you're hunting. 
You're sniffing it out, bro. But it's not going to happen, bro. Not today, bro. Right? So Sheikh gives an example, and here it is. Here it is. He goes an example to that. He goes, nowadays you see around the Haram Imarat, big towers. This was obviously written 20 plus years ago, yeah? And there are flats, right? And people are praying in these flats. And they see the Imam and the followers. Um, either all of the prayer or part of the prayer. Now, according to our author, our humbly author, Sheikh Uthameen says, this prayer is a valid prayer. We will say, And so therefore we should say to them, that if you hear the iqama, stay in your homes, pray with the imam, and don't bother coming to Masjid Haram. That's it. End of story. الثاني, and if we, that's, the, that's going by the imam's position. If we went according to the second position, the second opinion, the prayer is invalid because the lines are not connected. If you're in your house or in your hotel or you're in your whatever, the lines are not connected. And of course, this is the correct position. This is absolutely not an acceptable Opinion, the first one, Sheikh Uthameen is saying, and this is something interesting what he says now, uh, uh, because this is not uh, um, without difference of opinion. So let's listen to what he says. And by this position, okay, we will push back those people who gave fatwa, that it is from our contemporary scholars, and that's, there were a lot of those in Saudi, by the way, okay, that said that it is permissible to pray behind the loudspeaker. Now you know that in Muslim countries, loudspeakers are everywhere. The mosques are, uh, the adhan is given, you hear it, and the imam is on the uh, loudspeaker, and it's the, the, you know, especially in the villages and the towns, and you've got it you know, next to your house. And all the women, for example, at home as well, don't come out for them too. A fatwa has been given and was given that they can remain and just follow the loudspeaker. Just follow the loudspeaker. And there was an essay that was written on this subject, that the sufficient response or the, the, that, w- that which is sufficient to show the validity of the prayer prayed behind the loudspeaker. That's a work, working translation of this book. And in this book, the author, he basically said that it's okay to pray at home. And he said it's okay for Jum'ah, for Jum'ah prayer. To be prayed at home, just behind the speaker, because he said that uh, he said he goes and he goes that not only this, we should ignore the uh, other masajid actually, and we should just follow the uh, masjid al haram. So we're next to this masjid, but you can hear. I mean, if you've been in any Muslim country, by the way. You hear multiple khutbas going on. You know what I mean, right? Multiple salahs going on. He goes, well, sack your one, the one that's next to you. Might as well go for the big one. And, you know. And he goes, obviously, he's obviously being sarcastic here. He goes, uh, jama'ah is better when it's bigger, more people. So you'll be part of the biggest one ever. He goes, heck, yeah, and he might as well just do it behind television. You have millions in your jama'ah. He goes, why not? He goes, and he says, he goes, at least, يعني, وعلى هذا القول, اجعل التلفزيون he goes, put the, tele- put the television in front of you and pray behind television and praise Allah because of this blessing because you are 
Alaf nas He goes, because there's going to be thousands of people that are going to be with you in this congregation. And wait, it's not even one that's behind a speaker. You can see the imam on TV as well. So he's gone in, isn't it? He's gone in hardcore, right? He's gone in, right? So Sheikh says, uh, there's no doubt that this opinion is false. This is batil. This is eventually going to lead to the destruction of the congregational prayer. It's going to lead to the getting rid of Jum'ah. By the way, this, if, you, if you want a classic example of how this is just not some kind of fake theory, you all know many people, I'm sure, that have prayed their, their prayers. By the way, what do you think this is? Right? If you don't think this is real, what do you think you're sitting in? Do you understand the point? Right? There's no need for something like this. Right? They made this specifically to add as a selling point that, yeah, our hotel has that panoramic kind of, you know, musalla, whatever. Have you ever been to the Fairmont one? I mean, you might have, you can just walk in and have a look. It's beautiful to look at, right? But it's mahusive. I mean, you can literally, you know, thousands use it, right? Thousands. Uh, all, these, all, these, all these hotels, the clock tower, nearly all of them, and then you go around and you see a convention next door. Uh, Hilton Suites down below, a Hyatt Regency, Darul Tawheed, sick man in there, right? The one that's in the courtyard, right? So, um, uh, so first of all, here nobody's saying that this is theoretical. This is real, but I mean, for the rest of the world, it's also not theoretical. It's real, and COVID proved that. You saw a real push by scholars that said that it is permissible for the Juma prayer to be prayed at home, right? And you follow that on the YouTube and you follow that on whatever because, we, because of social distancing, this and that and all the rest of it. Now, it's actually a very interesting debate that because you can see that when you say, no, you can't do that, it's haram, man, it's impossible. What is that? They turn around and they say, well, well then, uh, uh, so you're basically saying no Jumu'ah then, right? And therefore you're, you're, you're depriving all of these people who are blatantly not studying and watching, you know, reminders and learning Quran, the only one opportunity that we had to basically teach them something, you basically close the door. So they use the emotional blackmail kind of argument, right? And it is a strong argument. We get it because people don't do anything except go for that Jumu'ah khutbah. So if we're saying it's haram, they're like, that's wicked, mate. That's exactly the fatwa that we're looking for, right? And by the way, I, I'm of that opinion. I said, no, you can't pray Jumu'ah. You've got to pray Dhuhr. If there's no Jumu'ah, there's no Jumu'ah, right? It's as absurd... If you think of it legally, right? This is, bear with me here. It's as absurd as the one who's traveling and can't get to the Jum'ah and we're saying that that person has to pray Jum'ah by himself. No, I'm by myself. I'm not in a congregation. I'm in some God knows where. I'm in a plane, whatever, right? By myself. I'm not going to pray Jum'ah. I'm praying Dhuhr. Jum'ah is the replacement for Dhuhr. Dhuhr is the default. Jum'ah is prayed when you've got circumstances. If you don't fulfill the circumstances, i.e. you're a group of people that are not enough, not enough people to pray it, or you're traveling, or there's no Jum'ah prayer, that's the end of it. It's a dangerous position to be in. The Prophet ﷺ warned people that it might happen once or twice, but if it happens three consecutively, heart gets blocked, right? So, okay, there's no legal way of the Jum'ah being established, and so we're going to pray Dhuhr. So it's a legal position. But I get it, the argument was that, yeah, but COVID is not for three weeks or two weeks. This could be months. So we've got to have an alternative. So I just want you to know that these, uh, you know, studying the, the, the fiqh of this in theory is real, has application in real life, and nobody would have thought that this would have been relevant in our time until COVID uh, came along. All right, let's finish this. And um, 
And uh, what does he uh, say? He goes that um, if we carry on with this, then you know the whole situation is going to be a disaster. We're going to ruin Jum'ah. We're going to ruin going out to the mosques. Nobody's going to care. And you know the, one of the clear key objectives of Sharia of Islam is to have people together, community. I've spoken so much about that, and especially the Jama'ah prayer for everything that it uh, brings. What? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so, so it's not about. So I'll tell you how. I'll tell you how. First of all, of course, plagues existed at the time of the Prophet Of course, restriction of movement existed at the time of Prophet um, Actually, the fatwa that we gave to listen, we didn't have the problem. Of, uh, let me get this right. We didn't have the problem of people. I can't get my head right. Right. We had the problem. Yeah, that's why I'm getting it wrong. We had the problem that the people didn't want to socially distance. Remember the beginning, okay, guys. Don't look at the end, okay. Everybody forgets that. You see, everyone's looking at the roses at the end. Remember the first weeks, first months. What were the Muslims saying? All fake. Trust in Allah. Remember that? Then who was dying the most? Us bloody Pakis, isn't it? Yeah? <laughs> then the flipping tune changed, isn't it? Right. So you would see people, they weren't wearing masks, couldn't care less, going to the masjids, whatever. We had to step in and say it's haram for you to go. Because we had to give the ruling. And, and what did we use? We used texts from before. Where the Prophet ﷺ made it very, very clear that you are not allowed to go into an area where there is ta'un, where there is plague. So social distancing was obligated by us. So that's a really important point to make uh, clear initially. Now, uh, to, to, to prove that, no, the, the principles of these things that happened today were existent back then. Now on the point of uh, traveling, what if I tell you that there are companions, companions, that practiced a state of travel and the concessions that come with it for months, even years? What would then be the practical difference between that and a plague and an epidemic? Because the only thing that's, that, that's unique about COVID or an epidemic is the length of time. That's your point, isn't it? If you're traveling here and there, how can you make a, 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 a comparison between the concession of traveling here and there and then a worldwide pandemic that's locked down the world? Well, okay, I'll give you a comparison. What if I said to you that you are a traveler for six years and you're going to be uh, in that state of taking all the concessions for six continuous years. So, yeah, what, 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 basically what I'm trying to say is that it is possible to find the examples from earlier. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. That you were not allowed to go to the mosque. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Not allowed to go to the mosque, not allowed to go outside, not allowed to interact with other Muslims, obligated to remain in your homes. Yeah. Uh, you, you, 
a fatwa. Yeah, of course we can. But what, what, what fatwa do you want? Give me the example. Okay, why would we want that? So, okay, sure, and and some scholars did exactly what you just uh, what you what you said. Some gave the fatwa and said that it is valid to preserve the Jumu'ah in those people's lives to use live streaming to allow them to connect. And the response of the vast majority was this is a changing of the fundamental identity and definition of certain acts of prayer. And if what you're really worried about is a person getting a reminder, yeah, then let's give them some other type of reminder. We don't need to ruin the Jumu'ah for it. We don't need to change the meaning of the Jumu'ah for it. Now, now, here's the interesting thing. We're now out of COVID, right? We now have the ability now, and this will happen for the next 50 years, where we will be studying these two years and human behavior that happened in these two years and the impact. You'll know that obviously for the next 10 years, we know that the schooling of the kids is going to be significantly affected. You remember when they were making decisions on whether to close the schools down or not, they said that we're making the decisions based upon 30-year cycles of the kids or what they're going to be earning, right? So they said, I think that the primary schools, if we close down now, the GDP is going to fall in 40 years yeah, or 30 years because they'll be taking less educating. So this is going to be a big study point. So let's do the Muslim one. Have the Jum'ah numbers got back to what it was? No, the Jum'ah hasn't. What's really interesting, has the Haram numbers got back to what it was? It's gone higher. So how's that? How is it that the normative kind of congregational events have fallen? Like our classes, have they fallen? Massively. On-site attendances for conferences? Fallen. On-site attendances for the actual classes, seminars? Fallen. Congregations for the normative prayer? Fallen. I'm speaking general. Of course, there are, there are outliers. Uh, uh, Jumu'ah attendances? Fallen. But the crazy events, like yani, what's happening here, gone through the roof. I think this can be justified. This is like an outpouring of, you know, just outpouring. Why wouldn't that act, why wouldn't that I think that people did in their own comfortable me, myself and I way. How much struggle is there now to get people back? They're now having to threaten them with the sack if you don't come back and, and, and the like. And it's crazy. I mean, the levels of customer service now, for example, that we are now willing to accept as a throwback to what they were doing, you know, using COVID as an excuse. And nowadays, we just have to accept that now people are doing things online. Maryam says people don't want to come conferences anymore because they can just watch it at home. Now, if you're a conference organizer, what are you going to do? Cry or are you going to start charging people for, to watch it from home? It's an extra income stream. You're covering the cost of the conference. It doesn't matter now you can afford to only have 
couple hundred people come, you've covered an aspect, but if people want to, you know, if, what do they say, if you can't beat them, join them, right? And so if the people are not coming, but they're willing to do stuff online, and that's the problem with this approach. When you change something, you fundamentally, I mean the fundamentals, I don't mean add new stuff, right? So I'm not saying there shouldn't be online classes, I'm saying that the, the on-site key shouldn't become the online class. That's, that's the point which is being made. Anyway, either way, we need to, we need to close up now. So what, does, uh, what did he finish off with? Um, yeah, so he goes, listen, the rajih, the, the correct uh, position is that it is not uh, uh, valid for a person who's outside the masjid to pray behind the imam or the ma'mum uh, or other followers unless he can hear the takbir and the lines are uh, uh, connected. Okay, the lines are all the way. And, uh, but if they are, then it's okay. So to close, what I'll say is that it is completely impermissible, completely impermissible to use these types of musallas. Okay, completely impermissible to pray from your hotel room. If you are tired, you're ill, you pray singly, sing, uh, as, in, as an individual and not as a congregation. You don't pray behind the imam. You don't, in, in, uh, you know, you've seen in your room, you've got the dial, yeah? Uh, the, have you seen it? Okay, I, I, some people haven't even seen it. Yeah, if you turn that dial, that's the imam, the volume speaker. So you can hear the adhan louder or turn it off. If you want to use that as a wake-up call, and here, of course, they do an adhan for tahajjud, by the way, which is an hour before fajr start time. If you want to wake up to that, which is a nice way to wake up, but then there are then, of course, it's connected to the imam as well. So you'll therefore be able to uh, sit in your room and pray behind the imam easy, easy. Especially if you've got haram view, right? Yeah, Abid, and then yeah, yeah. So. Here's the thing. So that meets both the criteria. Yeah, yeah. So this is not without controversy. Uh, the Hanafi school allow this. The Shafi'i school allow this. Okay. The all with little caveats. For example, the Shafi'i school they said that as long as the door, uh, any of the doors are open, right, then we'll consider it to all be some diffuse open area, right. The Maliki school, they said as long as you're able to follow the actions, we allow it. So actually all four schools of fiqh allow it. I explained last week, didn't I, that uh, in Egypt, you go to the mosques in Egypt, you see these seats at the back, uh, uh, at the side, that, that you know, right? They're at the back. And the people who need a chair, they sit on the back. And then the people who are in the normal line are at the front. So you've got this massive gap. Now, we said before that these people have to come and pray at the front, have to, sitting down on the floor. And if they can't sit down on the floor, then okay, a chair, if they really have to. But this idea that you can sit at the back, that's unacceptable. But you turn, you turn around, the Hanafis allow it, the Shafi'is allow it, the Hanbalis allow it, and the Malikis allow it. Actually, our position, the position that we hold, it's not a position of the four schools as a, as a school. There's no doubt that there are Hanafis that support this opinion. There's a big difference between Hanafis and Hanafi school, the official formal school. There are Hanbalis, as I just showed you, the greatest of the, of the Hanbali Imams, Ibn Qudam al-Maqdisi, other than the, the founder. I mean, the founder is Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal. By the way, there's a narration from Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal himself, the founder of the school, that rejects this opinion, right? 
let alone the best luminary of the school, which is Ibn Qudama, who rejects his opinion. So, you know, fiqh is full of nuance, lots of detail, you've got to just trust, you know, the, the system. What we're saying is this, we get it that the majority of scholars allow this kind of funky kind of congregations. Where's the evidence? The continuation of lines is a must. And sometimes you all have to use the, 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 you have to use the emotional argument. When people are not seeing sense, then use the emotional argument. What kind of congregation is this? Where people are just, you know, praying wherever they want? What's even the point then? Where will it go? Where will it end? And by the way, people always snigger and laugh, you know, when you say pray at home behind the TV. What else is left? You understand what I'm trying to say? That's a very real next, next step. Why would you go anywhere else? Yani you'd just pray behind the TV. Yep. You say it again? Oh, this bro, you lot are miles behind, bro. Welcome to the Gucci community, bro. They've been doing that behavior for donkey's ears. Yeah. 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 It, uh, it's, uh, it's a, I mean, I mean now, now you look at this. You're either celebrating this, short-term win, thinking that you're part of a congregation, or you're looking at this and thinking, what, this is the death of the congregation, actually. It's a complete joke. I think it's more for the women. You would have thought... You're probably right. Certainly in the Guji community, I think it started for, for the But this is not a Guji thing. No, I mean, they, they had that, um, that box you had to pay for. And, uh, you know, certainly, that, I remember in Ilford, they used to have that Balfour Road, yeah? And um, every Guji community has that now. But, um, yeah. Exactly, the word congregate. Congregate together and everyone's the only God knows what. What the hell is that? What does Jama'ah even mean? Where's the Jama'ah? Right? All right, guys, listen, before you go, you know that it's obviously a sunnah of new people to bring uh, sweets and chocolates and all the things like that. And our new people did not disappoint, mashallah. And we have absolute stack loads. I mean, like bucket loads, okay? So uh, I just need to say that to make the people at home feel bad, yeah? So, so now that they know that we're good, we're going to close the lesson. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanakallah wa bihamdika. Ashadu wa la ilaha illa anta wa astaghfirukallahum wa atubu alaik. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Right, folks, let's just share this out. Okay, look at this. Caramel cupcake, Allahu Akbar. Right, there you go. Shalom, Salim. Yalla, yalla, yalla.